Gone, a podcast about people who have gone missing from the upper Midwest of the United States and Ontario. These people didn't just disappear. Someone, somewhere, knows something. This is Janelle Feller. And I'm Katie Nordby. These are the stories of Veronica Safransky and Pam Dunn. Pamela Jean Dunn and David Osmussen had been in a long-term and troubled relationship. She had taken out an order for protection on August 25, 2000. The order for protection prohibited David from coming within 100 feet of her vehicle or residence. It prohibited him from talking to Pam, her mother, her daughter, employers, or co-workers. An order for protection is a court order that prohibits the perpetrator from contacting or communicating with the victims in person, electronically, or by a third party. An order for protection, or an OFP, is granted when people have a relationship and have suffered physical harm or fear of physical harm. Pam's co-worker testified in court that on December 6, 2001, she had seen Pam visibly upset, shaking and crying, after receiving a call from David. Pam reported that she was afraid of what David would do after finding out that she was seeing another man. David had violated the OFP 17 times in less than two weeks after it was granted. 17 times. In two weeks. And then, within a 12-hour period, he called her 26 times. The last three times, he left threatening messages uh, that said there would be bad consequences on on Pam's answering machine. <laughs> you probably don't even know. Do you know what an answering machine is? <laughs> I do. But, <laughs> okay. I mean, this was, this was a long time ago. So if you were calling somebody repeatedly, you probably used a landline. I mean, in 2000, obviously, there were cell phones. But uh, that's, uh, yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's a lot. That's a lot. I think that I think that was excessive. It was excessive, and that's just the things that we were able to record and we that we know of. I mean, on December 9th, two thousand one, at around six p.m., Pam was dropped off at her home in Watertown, South Dakota, by her mom, Loretta Hallquist. At eight p.m., Pam's daughter Stacy Benson called. During the call, Pam mentioned that David was at her house picking up the last of his personal items. Around 11 p.m., Pam called her mom and said that David had called her and he was upset about their conversation, and it sounded like he was crying. Pam was never seen or heard from again. She failed to show up for work on December 10th. Her car was still parked at her home, which was locked. Pam's purse and keys were on the kitchen table. David admitted to being at Pam's house the day that she had disappeared, and he was believed to be the last person that saw her before she went missing. During the court proceedings, David chose to represent himself. In 2006, he was sentenced to 40 years in prison for two charges of stalking Pam. He appealed the conviction, but it was upheld. On the same day, he was charged with kidnapping Pam to facilitate aggravated assault or stalking and or to terrorize her. Authorities stated that these charges came because of new evidence that was discovered. David was convicted of kidnapping in 2007 and sentenced to life in prison. David may have traveled to Florida after Pam's disappearance, Her body has not been found, and David has not been charged for her death, but foul play is suspected in her disappearance due to the circumstances involved. Pamela Jean Dunn would be 56 years old today. She is Caucasian, she stood 5'2", and weighed around 120 to 135 pounds. She has a medium complexion, sandy brown hair, and brown eyes. 
She has pierced ears, surgical scars from a hysterectomy, and a discolored scar under her nose. She always wore a diamond ring. If you have any information about the disappearance of Pamela Jean Dunn, contact the South Dakota Division of Criminal Investigation at 605-882-5099. This case is unusual because, um, because David Osmussen actually was convicted, and he was convicted of kidnapping when there wasn't a body. Um, and he's also convicted of stalking, which doesn't happen often enough, in right. my opinion. Um, it's, it's, that's, that's very unusual, and that he got life in prison for kidnapping uh, when there wasn't a body. Or, or a witness, it sounds like. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, nobody, it doesn't sound like anybody said, yeah, I saw him take her, yeah, I saw him. No, but there was a pattern. There was a pattern of, of him contacting her and communicating with her, and there was some. When Pam was talking to her daughter on the phone, she could hear. She had asked for a number, and Pam had said that David would probably know and talk to sure. David on the phone, and so um, proving that David was there the night, uh, the last night that anybody saw her, and so that. Um, that puts him in the that puts him in a location that doesn't mean he that doesn't prove that he kidnapped her. Right. But, um, and I think that I think that part of the reason that he was convicted of stalking and of kidnapping is because he chose to represent himself. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, you just you just can't I you know you just can't imagine that happening and him being convicted of both of those things without a body. If he had an attorney, you would think that an attorney would fight fight that. Well, and, you know, in court, when somebody chooses to represent themselves, the judge behaves in a different way. They're very, very careful to make sure that they understand the, their rights and the consequences of representing themselves. Um, it takes either a very confident person to represent themselves or in my experience anyway, a narcissist. Yeah. Somebody who really believes that they are, that they are right and know best. And, um, in this case, I think that he received, he received a greater sentence than he would have if he would have had a lawyer. You would think. Even a public defender. Right. Um, because there's usually some negotiation somewhere along there. There would have been somebody to argue that there's no proof. Um, but, it's just it's just really unheard of. Yeah. Uh, even for the stalking to get forty years for stalking, um, that's. And as far as I know, there had been no court proceedings about um, his violating the OFP. Sure. So um, it this is so then he just he just in essence had this one conversation this one correction after. Uh, violating the OFP. I mean, it was multiple times yeah. that he violated it, but he only came to the court's attention one time. So, which and that's not uncommon to not report a violation because, because then what does that do? That upsets him. That then brings it back to court. Now you have to face your your perpetrator again. Now you have to try to prove it once again. So, is there is there a hearing if there's an if there's an order to show cause if if somebody has violated the OFP? Would would there be a hearing? Yes. Okay. So only sh- only if only if the petitioner of that order 
brings it back to court to say, judge, I want you to find him in violation of this order because this is what he did. Um, it can also be criminal, too. So if you report a violation to law enforcement, that person can be arrested. So then it becomes a criminal issue. Yeah. And there's not been um, there's not been anything found, and he's never... He's never confessed. Um, this was, you know, 2001. So uh, that's a long time. But uh, there has not been any findings, any reports, any anything new since this kind of initial, um, since he went to court in 2007. And he was sentenced to life in prison. But nothing has been seen or heard. So, yeah, it's, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's a kind of bittersweet because justice was served and he was charged, but he was charged. And so now it's like, you know, are we ever going to find out? Right. Um, because, because it's in a way done, you know, it's in a way it's kind of been finalized that he has been charged with something, mm-hmm. even though a lot of people know that he probably, or suspect that he probably had something to do with it. Um, are we ever going to find out what happened to Pamela Dunn because he's in prison? For so long, though, unless well, a body's found, right? And I, 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 I don't know. I mean, it's been eleven years. It's been it, this was done. This was in two thousand seven. So you know, it's been enough time that if he was going to tell, he would have done so already. Yeah. So I don't know. It's uh, it's upsetting. It's upsetting because she's just leading your life and uh, uh, with an ex boyfriend. Um, who won't take the message, and um, and then she disappears. It is it is justice that he got sentenced, but yeah, justice but not justice. Yeah. Anyway. Veronica Safransky was a forty year old stay at home mom and an award winning Mary Kay salesperson from Argyle, Minnesota, in nineteen ninety six. She has four children. They were twenty one, sixteen, thirteen, and eleven at the time. It was a few days before Halloween, and Veronica went to nearby Warren, Minnesota, to attend a Halloween party at Mick's Bar. She was dressed as Pocahontas. Her 13-year-old daughter, Lisa, was supposed to stay at a friend's house that night, but she changed her mind and decided to wait up for her mom to get home. Veronica was separated from the kid's father, Ed, and was casually seeing a man named Kevin Skirvin. Kevin was also at the Halloween party at Mick's Bar. Kevin had a history of sexual assault convictions and served time in prison. In 1988, he served 22 months. It was around 12.30 in the morning when one of Veronica's friends noticed she wasn't at the bar anymore. Witnesses said that they saw her leave with Kevin in his 1997 Black Dodge Power Wagon pickup with Oregon plates. She left her coat and purse behind at the bar. It was October in Minnesota. It was probably a cold night. The next morning when Lisa realized her mom didn't come home, she called Veronica's friends to see if maybe she stayed with them. No one had heard from her. She was reported missing later that day. So authorities looked to the last person who was seen with Veronica, and that was Kevin Skirvin. So, um, Argyle, Minnesota, is that a very big town? It's very rural. Okay. Um, I don't know, but it seems like Veronica probably knew at least a little bit about Kevin's history. You would think so, and I'm not sure why he had Oregon plates. I couldn't find a whole lot about him if he had just moved to the area. Oh, or okay. 
so I'm not I'm not really sure. Okay, um, I just well that could be it. That could be why that that, be. that she may not have known about his about his his uh, criminal history. Right. So I guess I'm I'm kind of assuming that maybe she didn't. Yeah, because um, she's got she's got four kids. So right. okay, right. okay. Um, when he was questioned by authorities, Kevin said that he did leave with Veronica that night. He said she told him that her friends left her there and that she kind of followed him out of the bar. Her ex-husband, Ed, was questioned as well, and he was cleared of any involvement. About a month after Veronica disappeared, the belt from her Pocahontas costume was found in rural New Folden, which is about 30 miles away from Warren. They searched the area, but nothing else was found. Over the years, countless searches have been conducted. Five years after she disappeared, a psychic said Veronica's body was buried somewhere in Old Mill State Park, which was located between Warren and New Folden, but there was no trace of her. In 2002, Marshall County Deputy Mike Johnson said the county is rural. Lots of farming, lots of abandoned farmsteads. There's just a variety of places that if somebody needed to hide something, they could. It's just a very big area to cover. He said without a body, there's little hope of prosecuting a suspect. In 2009, construction workers uncovered what appeared to be adult human bones in Warren. Every time bones turn up near Warren, everyone thinks of Veronica. Those bones turned out to be too old to be hers. In 2016, they got a tip from a man tilling his field in Argyle. He found what appeared to be a moccasin. Sheriff Jason Bowman got excited thinking it might be something. They drove out there and found it to be a man's shoe. In June 2017, human remains were found in Oslo. Goodness sakes, there's a lot of human re- remains in that, that area. Are they, are they ancient? Are they recent history? Well, there was only the one that, I could, that said who it belonged to, and it was not. It turned out not to be Veronica. Um, they found the remains near the Red River. Some anglers did. Uh, Marshall County Sheriff's Office sent Veronica's dental records, and it turned out to be the body of a Grand Forks woman who was believed to have drowned about 30 years ago. Each year as hunting season approaches, the Sheriff's Office reminds hunters to be on the lookout for possible remains or clues in the case while they're out in the woods in the area. Again, there are many places where human remains could be easily concealed. Just last week, on October 9th, a human bone was found near Warren. It is currently being tested to determine if it's a match for Veronica. Oh my goodness, will they, how long will that take? I'm not sure. Um, it didn't say in the article, but um, we'll for sure update, um, at least on the website, once that... That was a week ago. It was just last week. Oh my goodness. That's ex- that's exciting. At least to have some, some closure. Right. Veronica's four children are all grown up now and married with children of their own. They credit their father, Ed, for getting them through the last 23 years. At the Marshall County Sheriff's Office in Warren, Veronica's case is still very active. Her poster is on the window in the entryway. It's been there since 1996. Another poster offers a $15,000 reward for information leading to her location. Next to Chief Deputy John Tyne's desk are three large boxes labeled Safransky that are full of notes and tips collected over the years. Next to those are three large binders stuffed to the brim with more of the same. Tynes and Sheriff Bowman said there are at least five more boxes in storage. Both were working for the Marshall County Sheriff's Office when Veronica went missing in 1996. Kevin Skirvin was investigated and cleared by authorities. He has never been charged in connection with her disappearance. 
Veronica Safransky was last seen in Warren, Minnesota at Mix Bar. She was 40 years old, 5'4", and 110 pounds at the time. She has blonde hair and blue eyes. She was last seen wearing a Pocahontas costume and a Mary Kay ring with diamonds in the shape of an S. Her nickname is Vonnie. Some agencies may hyphenate her last name as Lenhart Safransky. If you have any information about Veronica Safransky's disappearance, please call the Marshall County Sheriff's Office at 218-745-5411. This is, uh, it's kind of exciting. <laughs> it's kind of exciting to have a case in which there's a, you know, that they've possibly found the remains of someone. It, it sounds morbid and I, I'm, I don't mean it that way. Um, but for the family to have some closure, to know um, where she is, to have a body to bury, to also have a body to search. I mean, I don't know if there would be DNA on something that's been, somebody that's been missing for that long, but um, maybe. Well, I mean, maybe maybe the, you know, finding this one bone could lead to, you know, where, wherever they found it. Maybe there's, there's more yeah. wherever they found it. Yeah, and I don't know how uh, um, they can do amazing things with DNA, and they're able to, to get it from places that you just don't expect, but I guess it's it's possible. There's things that get left behind, and there's things that get that might be telling. Uh, if they can find the remains, then there's a good bet that they could find something else that could lead to the who the killer was. Right. Yeah. Well, and I just, I just think how awful it is to lose your mom. But then on top of that, for the last 23 years hearing about bodies being found in the area and almost <sighs> hoping, you know, waiting every single time. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the answer. Maybe we're going to find our mom. I just cannot even imagine. One, losing my mom. And two, having having that brought up every single time. It's, it's just every couple of years, yeah. it seems like. And yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I would bet that area has a lot of... Um, shelter belts and old tree growths that are, you know, that are, that are overgrown, abandoned, you know, abandoned farmsteads, which people don't go into necessarily. Uh, and there, there probably are a lot of places. It's a lot of space. Yeah. It's a lot of sp a space, not a lot of people. Right. And, uh, well, you think about Cushing County. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not sure that it's that different. There. Right. This is this is north of Thief River Falls and uh, uh, south of Pembina, as a crow flies. And it's um, I remember being in that area and seeing signs that said Moose Crossing. Sure. I mean, it's a it's a different. It is very much like our area in that it's it is swamp, and forested area, um, as well as farming land. Yeah. So just so much area to cover. Yeah. Where do you even begin? Yeah. Yeah, but the um, Kevin was considered. He's not. He's no longer considered a suspect in that. Not that I found. Um, yeah, it sounds like he was cleared. Whether how can you clear him if there's I no don't, body? I don't, I don't know how you can do that. I think. Well, and I think that that's it. He was as. I mean, with the evidence they had, right? He's he's been cleared based on what they what they know and what they have because they don't have anything to go off of. Right. Right. Um, you know the one of the. I'm not sure what sheriff it was that talked about it, but he said, you know, we looked to the last person yep. who was with her. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily, you know, saying that he is a suspect, but who was the last person? Because if he's not the suspect, then he, maybe he knows, you know, yep. this is where she was or this is where I dropped her off at or, mm -hmm. 
you know, and he couldn't recall what they did after they left the bar. So as far as right now goes, he has been cleared. Well, the same thing happened in the, in the Pamela Dunn case, uh, that he was the last person that, that saw her that, that we can find. I mean, he's, he's now life in prison. So yeah, it's just, it's, uh, and they didn't have a body in that case either. So yeah. it's, it's, uh, very different responses or very different outcomes. I, I hope that somebody will get closure in their life with the finding of that, that bone. Um, yeah. and hopefully they, they're, and maybe it'll be telling, um, either, either that bone or the something in the area. But yeah. 23 years have passed. And I suppose any much evidence has disappeared. Right. Just disintegrated. Thank you, Katie. We ask that you do not reach out to the families or post names of possible suspects on social media. Missing persons photos, along with information and articles used for these cases, can be found on our website at gone-podcast.com. Mm-hmm.